0: Again, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. In the NIV, with the subheading, it says, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It is given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, again with scripture. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. Though they will lift up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You see now... Satan is also using scripture. And Jesus answered, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, the devil had finished all this tempting. He left him until an opportune time. The wilderness. Lent. Over Thursday and Friday, I had an opportunity to sit with some very dear friends, with P.W. and Amanda there at the Levine Hospital, Children's Hospital in Charlotte. Three year old Caroline, about to have surgery on Friday. P.W. and Amanda and Caroline have been on this adventure, this trial. For seventy-one days, they have lived in a hospital, either at Mission in Asheville or at, at the, the, the hospital there in Charlotte, for the majority of that time. A couple weeks ago, I reported back to you. I had gone down and, and had seen them, and I and PW, uh, as, as I was asking him some things to pray for, and we were talking about. Praying for clarity because it felt like that's what we needed, right? We needed these doctors, these nurses, these people to understand what needed to happen. And he said, no, I don't want clarity. I want trust. Pray for trust. Wow. Friday morning, over a cup of coffee, PW and Amanda and I had a really good conversation. Caroline was asleep. And the conversation turned to, to a pretty intimate conversation. And, and, uh, and some of that, which I, I have permission to share with you, I, I, I said, um, how are you doing, really? Because there's two answers to that question, right? We know, we know that. We know the answer we give. And, and, and sometimes the answer we give is the answer we want to be right. But then sometimes there's that how we're doing really. PW's my twin brother from a different mother. <clears throat> and so I felt like I could ask him. He said, you know what? You know what's crazy? He said, if, if, we could do, if I could take away Caroline's pain and the pain that she's been in, I would do every one of these days all over again. I'd do it all again. I'd, I kind of didn't know what to say for a minute. He said, you know, when you have to give some things up, what becomes important is right in front of your face. And the time that I have had with my family and with the Lord and hearing him, and praying to him, and knowing that people are praying for us, I would do that again in a minute if I could. Wow. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. Lord our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Lent may not be a season of the church year that you particularly look forward to. Lent certainly has a, a heaviness to it. it. It often feels at odds with with kind of the, the broader culture, which which really, if we're honest, does its best to keep us distracted from anything real. How are you really doing? Keep us distracted from sadness. And to make matters worse, many of us associate Lent with giving something up, something pleasurable. We we think of it as this season of self-control. Going to do it. Over the past few days, some of you have... Heard people talking, and and you've probably heard how they're they're giving up chocolate or meat or cigarettes or Facebook, whatever. And you kind of want to be like, I don't care what you're giving up. (laughs) Blah, 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 blah. And in these moments, some of us have even thought, well, good for you and your little self-improvement project. No way am I going to do that. Others of us may have said, and I'm thinking in particular of some parents that I see with younger children. I'm living a perpetual Lent. I live it year, year long. <laughs> You really expect me to give up something else? (laughs) I mean, I've already given up, you know, going out in public in Crocs and sweatpants, for crying out loud. I mean, no problem with that, by the way, do it. For Lent, for some, Lent sounds like six weeks of hatred, self-hatred, guilt. Why on earth would we wish that upon ourselves? But this morning I'd like for us to lean forward for a few minutes. And perhaps for the eightieth time, the eighth time, or maybe the very first time, let's take just a look at Lent. Let's let's give it another let's give it another go. After all, Lent is one of the oldest traditions in, in Christendom that we have. It was actually first mentioned in, in the second century. In the writings of Arrhenius of Lyons, back, back then, Lent only lasted a couple of days. It, it wasn't until 325 that the Council of Nicaea put Lent officially into the church calendar. Just a little church history for you here. At this time, it was primarily a time of preparation for baptism, and the season was defined by fasting. Only one meal a day was eaten each day. In the evening, no animal products were to be consumed. In, in the 600s, Lent's be, being, beginning moved from, from Sunday to Wednesday in order to match up with a very important number that's found throughout Scripture. It's a number we've already read about today. Anybody know what the number is? 40. It's, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a big number in Scripture's. Forty is the number of of years the Israelites wandered in the desert. It's the the fast taken by Elijah and Moses for 40 days long. For Luke, the fact that Jesus goes to the wilderness for 40 days is the way that we know that Jesus is the continuation of the story of God's work with Israel. It's not a brand new thing. You see, God has always had plan A and plan A has always been Jesus. It's no wonder that that hundreds of years later, Gregory the Great would insist that the church celebrate Lent for 40 days, starting with Ash Wednesday. Over the next thousand years, restrictions on Lent changed. Things changed. The big church changing things. At first, meals were allowed after 3 in the afternoon, and then things changed. And then finally, around 1966, more modern. Catholic Church declared that fasting was only required on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Since then, people have become more creative about the way they participate in Lent. Some do it and have no idea what it means and why they're doing it. It's just some self-help project, way to lose a few pounds before the spring and bathing suit season. Spring break season, if you're a student. And so as a result, we've seen people being a part of Lent very intentionally. And some without any understanding at all what it means. What it could mean is maybe a better way to say it. But Jesus himself helps us to see. So in in scripture, we, we encounter this text that that really has formed our Lenten tradition. It's the temptation in the wilderness. Our our version of this story comes from the Gospel of Luke, where we we get a lot of details about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And as such, it is from Luke that we inherit the tradition of this extended preparation, this extended time of preparing for the season of Easter, and the celebration of, the resurrection. So Luke reminds us that there's something, there's something important about taking time to figure out who this Jesus is. And over these next weeks leading up to Palm Sunday and Easter, we're going to be doing just that. We're going to be looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. Lent helps us to be ready for this, to be, to be ready for the cross and the empty tomb. And and right here at the beginning of that story, we find Jesus coming to terms with who he is. Not unlike P.W. and Amanda. Just before Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, we get the the big revealing of, of Jesus' identity. And in this scene, John baptizes Jesus, and as Jesus emerges from the water, the skies open, a dove lands on him, and a voice from heaven comes saying, You are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And then from there, led by the Holy Spirit, I think sometimes we forget that part, led by this same Holy Spirit, Jesus goes into the wilderness following Jesus' example, as we are to always follow Jesus' example. We follow Jesus and we follow his example. We can think of Lent as a mirror that we hold up to ourselves. It's a season of of honest encounter with who we are, with what we've done, and the world that we live in, the world that we inhabit. So in in today's scripture, the, the holding up of the mirror For Jesus is the devil, is Satan. And in his conversation with Jesus, Satan confronts three points of Jesus' identity. He confronts his social, his political, and his religious identity. Jesus, looking in the mirror of himself, must then discern what kind of mission he's actually on. What kind of savior will he be? The first question Satan asks concerns Jesus' social mission. This is the social part. If you are the son of God, he says, command these stones to become a loaf of bread. Satan wonders about Jesus' ability to offer real bodily salvation. Will Jesus use his power to miraculously provide for all people on earth? Will he meet all temporal needs that we all have? And Jesus looks in the mirror and says no. People require bread, but also more. Jesus knows his mission is about changing structures, about upending kingdoms, about turning all that we know upside down, about transforming the ways that we think of power, privilege. You see, people can't live on bread alone. Jesus is about taking the the known and turning it upside down, turning the kingdom on its head. How ironic that I and you and very well-meaning people spend our entire lives trying to write it back. No, Jesus' social mission is much more. Secondly, Jesus must reckon with his political identity. Don't get nervous. I'm not really talking about politics. But I am. Jesus has to reckon with his political identity. Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Newland. The state capital in Raleigh. The White House, the Hague, Parliament. Just think—we can imagine him saying, "Just think! Think of all the good you can do with this power. Think of all the good you can do with all this power." Let me give you this: you could in, you could end poverty, you could cure disease, you could stop all the violence, war all the death and the things that plague your world, all you have to do, Jesus, is worship me. I want you to stop, Jesus, just for a second and think of the greater good. And to this, Jesus once again says, no. He sees in the mirror that it is the right worship of God that will animate his ministry. That, power, that the power to transform everything rests there and not in some man or some woman or some politic. The power to transform the world belongs to God and God alone. Through his son, Jesus. Not the things that the world considers to be powerful. Finally, Jesus is brought to the top of the temple to ask the question of his religious identity. So we had his social, we, we had his political, and now this religious identity. Satan tells him, prove to all these people that you are who you say you are. Put them in a, in a position where they have no other choice but to worship you. And again, Jesus looks into that mirror and says, no. It will not be through coercion that Jesus brings each of us into the kingdom of God. The kingdom will come through something utterly incomprehensible to Satan. This kingdom, this thing that God is doing, that he is doing in us, that he continues to do, this thing is going to be utterly incomprehensible to Satan in how it comes. Because how does it come? Not by power, not by might, but by death. Through death. It will happen through the opening up of the kingdom to us, to the poor, to the outcast. God will exercise power in a new and unexpected way. So no thank you. As we can hear, the the first first step in Jesus' journey to the cross begins with this asking a question. Who am I? And, and I think that too is, is the path that you and I are on this season of Lent. We're asked to hold up a mirror to ourselves and, and to our world. O- oftentimes it, it will be painful. If we really do it. How are you doing? No, how are you doing really? It will be painful to see what is looking back. But in the Christian tradition of... That brokenness, the pain of that encounter with what reflects back at us is called sin. And Lent is this opportunity to put our bodies in a position to come to terms with that brokenness. It's a time to, to remember the fact that we, we have already been welcomed into the wholeness and healing of that brokenness. It's why sometimes Lent is called a bright sadness. Because while on the one hand we, we deal with and we grapple and we see and, and is reflected this brokenness, we, we know and we understand that we have been welcomed into healing in the midst of that broken. Through Jesus. You see Lent is about letting our bodies surrender what rules over us. From which Christ has already delivered us. It's a reminder. It's a preparation. Traditionally the the church is engaged in in certain practices that help put our bodies in position to encounter this forgiveness. And to to take hold of it. The first is prayer. Prayer. Daily attention to to the voice of God speaking to us. So that means that the prayer from our end sometimes has to be silent. And giving the Lord that space to speak. The second traditional way of of, of experiencing this is is fasting. Most of the time, fasting does not mean we get rid of something bad. That's not what a right view of fasting is not going to get rid of something bad you know we're, we're to be doing that all the time that's through repentance and through the work of the holy spirit but fasting for the believer is usually from something that helps in, engage our senses our stomachs our minds and the craving for the good things that god provides for us each day it's it's a metaphor if you will it's a physical embodiment of the longing that is fulfilled as the sun rises Easter Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. And while these are the traditional streets that we walk down for, for, for those that want to keep Lent, that we, we also know that not everyone can benefit from practices in the same way. And this is why this is, it's an opportunity, I think. Over the last couple of weeks and, 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 and days, um, I think I've, I've come to realize how much I have started to buy into and, and to believe in the lie of scarcity. I, I'm just being real. I find myself every day confronting the voices around me, literally the voices around me sometimes. Not anyone in here. (laughs) And mostly the voices within myself that say to me, there isn't enough, Alan. There's not enough time, there's not enough money. There's never enough energy. There's not enough love to give. There's not enough influence to change the brokenness. And, and I've, I've started to buy into that. And that's sin. So each day, what I want to try to do is make some space, a little bit of time, to remember, to pray, and to trust God that there is enough, that he's enough. Because God has promised me that there will always be enough. It's going to be hard. I don't really want 200 of you to hold me accountable to that as I stand in front of you. It's going to mean taking some minutes just by myself. It's going to mean trying to pray that the Lord can help push back this guilt that accompanies this self-care. Sometimes it's going to mean reading someone else's words, so that the truth, so that in that truth, what they say gets into my heart. It's going to mean looking at God's holy Scripture. But the question is, how will we keep a holy Lent this season? What will we see when we hold that mirror up to ourselves? There's there's so many ways to prepare. There's so many ways to do this. For for those distracting ourselves from the difficulty of of self-reflection and by constantly listening to music, by constantly having media, by constantly having the television, something on, anything at all, to heaven forbid, avoid silence. Maybe we can commit to listening to just one, I'll call it album, I'm old, one album for, for this six-week period, what would that be? If you had one album to listen to that would put you in the right relationship with God and a right place to hear from Him for six weeks, what would it be? Would you listen to that for six weeks? For those of us who use social media to avoid the messiness of, of relationships in the flesh with people that are right in front of us, we might think about giving up some of that. Maybe we give up texting and we only use our phone to actually talk to someone else on the other line. It is called, after all, a phone. Guilty. For those of us who hold up the mirror and we see someone overworked and exhausted, Because God obviously loves us more when we do more. Especially if we're doing more for him. Maybe we might try committing to to 40 hours a week. Remember the 40 hour work weeks? 30 sounds even better than that. 25 sounds divine. if we struggle with our self-image, if we've had a hard time believing that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, to, to do the, the thing God gifted us to do excellently every day, do, do, we, do we not get it? Can, can, are we willing to say out loud and seem crazy when we do it, maybe in a place where there's not a lot of people, but still say out loud that I am God's beloved and he is mine. How will we keep a holy Lent this season? Whatever it is, it, Lent welcomes us to a, to a season of, of self-reflection, a time of holiness, a time of, to put our bodies, our hearts, our minds in a position to receive that forgiveness and that healing that God stretches out before us. To know that he's enough and there's always going to be enough of him. Because all he knows how to do is give it all away. So may God bless us. And may God grant us a holy season of Lent. Amen.